Well, if you like to stand or able to, please join me as we read the word together. We're going to read from uh, Psalms 63, our passage of study today, a Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life and my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadows of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Thanks, man. I love this passage. This is the first passage, first psalm I ever memorized, high school. So I cannot wait to dive into it with you. But first, a couple things, a couple... Uh, personal and family matters. Number one, uh, you guys, uh, today is first um, my mom's birthday, and I just want to take a moment to look at my mom right now. What's up, mamacita bonita? I love you, and I'm grateful for you. I'm looking at the camera, by the way. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Mom, I love you, and uh, thanks for the day that uh, I thank God for the day you were born. Happy birthday. Yeah. Look at that, Mom. Everyone's clapping for you. And I also want to give a big happy birthday to Audrey Fallberg. Get this. She is a dear and devoted member of our community. Here she's right here. The most spectacular blue eyes you have ever seen. Take a gaze over here. And she is going to be turning 100 years young this week. So let's give a round of applause. Yeah. Woo. What a joy. Oh, so grateful for you, Audrey. You always bring me such a big smile when I see you at church. Gosh. All right. Now, some family matters. Um, All right. So this Friday, we had uh, a major moment, um, uh, a ruling that has 50 years of precedent was turned over, and uh, the Roe v. Wade uh, law that, yeah, the Roe v. Wade law that was put into place the year that I was born. And so, gosh, 48 years, here we are. Um, And there's reason to be grateful for it. It reflects, on the one hand, the historic and deeply rooted value that the people of God have always had for the most vulnerable, the unborn. And you can go back to to the ancient church in the Roman Empire when they used to practice infanticide. Maybe you've heard this. They would take children out and discard them. And um, a lot of young girls... Uh, discarded, and the Christian church was the one to go grab those kids and bring them in and adopt them. That's part of how the early church grew, was taking in those young children. We have a reason to be grateful, but also I want to acknowledge right now, before we go any further, that there's also people in our church, there's people in our families, people in our relational networks, that for them, this moment is a moment of tremendous alarm and concern for them. And one of those places of vulnerability are for women who feel threatened by the loss of their ability to make choices. And we may not agree with that. You may have a different view on that. But nonetheless, I want to invite us into a place of compassion and loving grace towards people who are feeling that alarm. And personally, as a pastor, I'm talking, and I'm looking at the room right now, and I've had conversations with people in this room 
that are on both sides, that not about sides politically, but how people feel. Do you see the difference? I'm not talking about the ruling. I'm talking about how it feels to them and what comes up for them when this topic comes up. And I just feel for people who have had abortions, who tap talking about this, it just brings up deep pain. And I want to right now, I just want to bless you with the grace of Jesus Christ over your heart. And may the Lord just protect you. You're in a safe place and the Lord loves you. And he covers our whole life, past, present, future. Thanks, you guys. As we kind of give, I just want to give a couple points of pastoral counsel, then we'll get to the message. Okay, here we go. Number one, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. I learned that from a dear wise friend when I was first a believer, and I was absolutely convinced that Jesus was the risen Lord, and the Bible was the Word of God, and I had all these convictions, and with those convictions, even though I'm absolutely right, the way it came out was not in a way that built trust and love with my family. It was dividing my family. And a wise friend who's a mentor said, Ryan, they don't, aren't going to care how much you know until they know how much you care. So start just honoring your parents and let that witness draw them to your faith. And then at the right time, God's going to give you the words to speak. They're going to bring them to faith. And that was so true. Both of my parents have accepted Christ in their life. But it was just realizing, listen, as you go out there, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And we know as Christians more than anybody else that a law cannot change a heart. We know that, right? And we are after the hearts and the minds of men and women. We are after their hearts. And so the love of Christ is what wins hearts. You need the truth of God to shine on them, but it's the love of God. The truth will get their attention and the love will woo them into his presence. So when you go out there, as James says, be quick to listen and be slow to speak. It's not douse your conviction. It's not hide your light. It's lead, let your light be led. Let the lead of your light be grace and a listening heart. Let it be a tenderness. And even if someone's sharing a view that you vehemently disagree with, you can love that person. And just by listening to them, and saying, hey, tell me more why you think. I was just talking to someone the other day who has polar opposite views, and they were expressing all of their emotion about it. And I was just able just to listen to them in the place of Christ and just say, tell me more, tell me more. That's your phrase. When someone shares something you don't agree with, just say, tell me more, tell me more. And if you're lucky, God might open up a door of trust between you where you might be able to share the love of Christ with them. All right, guys, that's my advice for the week. But here we go. Psalm 63. I'm so excited to go into this psalm. And uh, it opens with this line. Can we go to the next slide? It says, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. This was written while David was hiding out in the desert. His son Absalom had usurped the throne and was overtaking Jerusalem. This was one of the lowest moments in David's life. And this psalm has been especially written for us to train us, to train us how to pray when we're in a desert place. Have you ever found yourself in a desert place spiritually? Have you ever found yourself in a desert place? And I want to define that. A desert place represents those moments in our life where we feel dry in our life and we feel disconnected from God and we're experiencing a lack of passion in our faith. 
Have you ever been in a moment like that, a season, or had an area of your life where normally you're excited and you're on fire for God, but whenever this area, whenever this conversation comes up, you instantly start to feel dry. You feel like, man, God is nowhere to be found. Have you ever been there? Can you relate to that at all? Come on. We all can. That's what I love about this psalm and why I'm bringing it out today, because all of us know what it's like to go through dry seasons and have dry places in our hearts where we feel disconnected from God. I want to outline a few examples of desert places. They're desert places of circumstance. These are external to us. They're seasons that test our faith. Desperate situations in our life that challenge our faith. We find ourselves going, God, how could you let this happen to me? Can you relate to that? Your brain knows, you know, the right answer, but something in here is just like, oh, God. How about this? Distractions. Distractions are usually, 99% of the time, good things. It could be, you know, your growing family. You just got married and maybe it's thrown off your routine. You've got kids now and your routine's different. You just got a new job that you're grateful for, but the way that it interacts with your life, it's, it's creating a distraction in spaces where you are able to devote to God. Distractions can set in. It can be the distraction of whenever you sit to be alone, you can't help but grab your phone because being bored is like your worst nightmare, right? Just to sit alone is impossible, and instantly you get that itch to grab your phone and start doing something. Distraction. Distractions are circumstances that spread our passion for God thin by diffusing it so we're 3,000 miles wide but half an inch deep. Then there there are deserts of our heart. Dryness internally. Okay, these are the places of disappointment that we carry. Disappointment where prayers are that were not answered. Maybe there's been experiences with the church. I I hear this all the time, and nothing breaks my heart more than these. People who have been to church and have been so wounded, have trauma, have been betrayed, have been judged, and have such deep disappointment, they feel disconnected from God. And whenever they show up here, which is meant to be a place to stoke their fire, it douses it with a wet blanket, or maybe there's this doubt, you know? It's nothing dramatic. It's just a little bit of doubt. Is this really God's word? Really? This is like 2,000 years old. Man, who was David anyways? You know, this old book. Maybe it's doubts that when you pray, God hears you, and he knows you, and he draws near to you when you pray. Maybe you have doubts about that. Okay, so there we are. Those are some desert places. What would be yours? If there was a dry place in your life that if you could have God show up and bring a breakthrough in, where would that be for you? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your health? Is it in your faith? Where is it for you? These dry areas can burden us like dead weight. I want to give you an illustration. So I'm going to ask you to do something I don't like to do too often, but can you turn to someone next to you if you're with somebody here and share maybe a dry area of your life you would love to have God show up in and bring fresh life to you? If you're sitting alone chilling, then chill out. I'm not asking you to be awkward and turn to someone you don't know. You just, two two seconds, okay? Introverts, I'm going to be right back. Think, think. I'll be right back. You're dry place. I'm back. I told you. It was quick. I told you, you know, uh, I love to get people sharing and talking, but hey, introverts, I heard you, and uh, I heard that it was freaking you out. 
<laughs> I heard you were having a crisis. So, hey, seriously, I want to make that short. Here we go. Um, here's the thing. We carry these dry areas in our life like dead weight on our back, and we hide it. No one knows. We come to church. Everyone's happy, clappy, God. And you're sitting there going, I'm not happy. Maybe you're just in the mood. Maybe you're just exhausted because you didn't put deodorant on and brush your teeth because you're busy getting the kids dressed, and you're just lucky you made it here, and you're not in a praise moment. You're not feeling ready to worship God. Um, Look, we walk around carrying dry places in our life, and the church has to be the safe place that we can bring our dryness to because this is where God sets it on fire. But if we can't come here and be honest about our doubts, our disappointments, if we can't come here and be honest about our desperate situations, and our distractions in our life, then where can we go? My friends, if they can't come here, they will go elsewhere, and it, and it may not be Jesus. And they've got to come here, which is why, like earlier, we were going to talk about hard things. We talk about the Roe v. Wade thing, and for some of us, that's great news. For others of us, it's freaking us out. And I want you to know, if you're freaking out, and that scares you because you feel like your rights are being taken, I want you to know, you're welcome here. It's okay that you feel that way. Because that's not the kind of thing that Christians can admit without fearing recrimination. Like, oh, then you don't care. Oh, you don't understand the importance of life. And it's like, no, 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 no. I, that's not what I'm trying to say. And it gets, you see how we just get, people can get muddled. And we got to be a place where we can bring our dry stuff and not just carry it as baggage. But here's the point that Psalm 63 is making, is that it doesn't have to be baggage that we lug around with us that eventually wears us down. It can be fuel that God uses to set on fire. Let me explain. So, you got to, today, this morning, this message is, wants to help you find, identify your dry place and bring it out. Get it out in the open. All right, here it is, Ryan. There it is. I am bored every time I pray and I fall asleep every time. Is that your dry place? Maybe it's more serious. Maybe your dry place is your marriage and you're at the end of yourself and you just can't believe that God could show up in that place. Maybe there's an addiction that's just got you by the throat. And your ability to trust and sense God's nearness to you in that area feels so far. Listen, let's bring our dryness, our dry places, because we're going to see that God will turn that dry place into a place of burning passion for him if we let him. So that's what we're going to do. Psalm 63 shows us how to reignite our passion for God. I want to start with the first step. The first step in allowing God to do this that we learn from David is gather the dry wood. Let's go to point one. Here we are. Start with verse one. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Here it is. Here's the dry part. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and, weary, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David doesn't start his psalm with a mighty praise and ode to God's greatness and glory. He doesn't start off and go, God, you're amazing. You are awesome. And everything you do is good. He's going to get there, but he doesn't start there. He doesn't start. He starts irreverently with his dryness and with a little bit of complaining. And that is such an important way to start prayer. When we got to do it, you got to do it. Listen to what this is teaching us. David brings his thirst to God in prayer, and he tells him where he feels empty. For prayer to be effective, we must be honest with God because there's nothing we're going to bring out of our backpack that he hasn't seen already. 
The thing is, we as a church need to learn how to let people bring their dryness out in the open with us around too. C.S. Lewis said this. Look at this great C.S. Lewis quote. He said, we must lay before him, that's God, what is in us, not what ought to be in us. Do you ever get stuck with that when you're praying? You know, you just feel like you got it. You're trying to find these amazing, inspiring things to say to God, you know. And, and David's saying, man, are you bummed? Are you bored? Are you frustrated? Tell God. God, I'm so frustrated. Just tell him. All right? I remember, for me, a dry place that I want to be honest with you about. In 2009, I had come to terms with the fact that I was not praying anymore. I had this moment of realization where I realized it had been two weeks since I had even sat down and prayed. Now it gets worse. I thought about it, and the worst thought was, I didn't want to go pray. And I was beginning to feel like, my life doesn't feel any different. I don't think it matters. Now that really freaked me out. There it is, and I'll throw it out, make it even harder. As a full-time minister, I can't tell you how embarrassed I felt as a minister to admit that I was losing my fire, my faith to pray and spend time in prayer. I just wasn't doing it. It was embarrassing to admit. And I think as Christians, maybe you're not a full-time minister, but you too, you feel like, man, if I'm honest with this, it's going to completely just invalidate that I'm a, I'm a Christian at all. Others are going to see that I'm not really what I hope to be. And I started bringing that honesty to God. And this is what I, it was like. It was raw. God, I don't pray, and I'm not praying, and I don't want to pray. And I started telling God, God, it just bores me. And I was so frustrated. Okay, I, brace yourself. I got into a car. I went for a drive, and I started yelling at God. I was like, God, I am so bored. I am so frustrated that I don't feel like when I'm praying, I have any expectation you're going to be there or anything is going to change. I want to pray because when I meet with you, there's no other place I'd rather be. God, I want when I pray for it to really mean something and to believe in it, and I'm losing that, and it's scaring me. Yeah, that kind of honesty. You can be honest with him like that. And as I started to do that, I just experienced this freedom, this release. Think of it like throwing firewood on a fire. Each dry piece of wood works to feed the fire. It's their dry places that we are tempted to want to bury and hide. Why? Because it's not attractive. Who has a backyard? Who invites you to their backyard to see their garden? You're like, oh, come see my garden. It's amazing. And you walk in the backyard and it's a bunch of piles of wood. You're just like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to leave now because you got something loose. Ah, <laughs> oh, no. When you think about this thing and its beauty and its prestige, it's strong, it's rooted, right? Remember the first psalm? Like a tree planted by streams of water? It's bearing fruit and the leaves on a beautiful breezy summer afternoon just, you know, just uh, rustling in the breeze. No, no, no. When you got this going on, you want to just bury that and hide it. But what David is inviting us to do, what the scriptures teach us is, no, be honest about it and bring it. Name it and bring it to me. Because what you think is going to separate you from me, God is saying is going to ignite your heart on fire for me if you will bring it to me. Bring it to the Lord. The best fires burn with the driest wood. Come on, that's what we're talking about.
Yeah, let's pop for that. Is that good news for you? If you're in a really dry place and you feel like, man, Ryan, you don't understand, like, I can't even imagine being on this, being filled with passion for God. I'm too busy. I'm too intellectual. I'm too analytical. I'm too emotional. Whatever it is. The scriptures have a message for you today. It's your dryness that's the very reason why you are on the verge of a renewal of your faith. Now, where is that place for you? Where is that dry place? And I just want to read one more scripture to you. Listen to what Paul says about his dry place. Paul had been praying for his dry place to be healed by God three times. And get this, he didn't get what he asked for. The mighty apostle Paul didn't get what he asked for. And so watch what happens. He has an encounter with Jesus who says this, but he said to me, this is Jesus speaking to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, what do you do with that? My fire is going to burn brightest where you are driest. And you're like, oh, okay. Listen to what Paul goes. He goes, watch Paul's reaction. He goes, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weakness. I am not going to try to hide it anymore. I'm going to be open and upfront about it. I'm going to let it out. And I'm not going to try to be, I'm not going to be ashamed of it anymore. I'm not going to be afraid of it or embarrassed of it. He goes, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When you bring those dry places to God, you are opening your heart to the power of God resting on you. And I'm going to show you how, because when we start getting honest with this stuff, this is not about making your dryness or your problems in life your new best friend. You know, like it's not about wallowing in, in introspection. It's not about getting down and having a pity party. It's about being honest and then moving to the next step. Because a pile of dry wood in the backyard is what? Just a pile of dry wood. Not much to look at. But it can become something amazing if we go to step two. In verse two, David says, I have seen you in the sanctuary, beheld your power and your glory, because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully, what? satisfied as with the richest of foods. Notice he's saying, I will be, not I am. Do you, do you see that? Because he's in the desert. He's in the desert. He's not like all of a sudden now things are great. He's in the desert saying, I'm going to be satisfied with the richest of foods. And with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So here's the next step. When you gather your dry wood and you've laid it out, the next step is to light the fire. And David ignites that fire by entering into a spirit of praise. Can you say that with me? Spirit of praise. Spirit of praise. But what does that even mean? What does it mean to enter into a spirit of praise? And I want to unpack that. I want to define it. A spirit of praise is an intentionally cultivated attitude of adoration and worship for God where we use our will and our mind and our bodies to set our focus on God. That's what I'm talking about. It is an intentionally cultivated attitude of adoration and worship for God. And I want to show you how David does this. Number one, the first thing that he does to enter into a spirit of praise is he makes a choice. Look at verse three. Let's go back to verse three. And in verse three, he says, I will praise you. He doesn't say, um, yeah, verse three. 
Yeah, verse 3, he says, I will praise you. He's not saying, I feel like praising you. He's, he's, he's not saying, my situation has changed, so now I can praise you. He says, I will praise you right now. This is a matter of choice. It's not about, do I feel like it? It's about doing what we know is true, even when we don't feel like it. When we can't come in and praise God because we don't feel like it, that's emotionalism, you guys. Emotionalism is allowing how we feel to limit how we respond to God. But when we praise God, especially when you don't feel like it, that right there, you guys, is probably the most important moment that you are actually worshiping God. To praise God when you don't feel like it opens your heart to the Holy Spirit who sets our hearts on fire. I wanted to jump to the scripture real quick and show it to you. Look at Ephesians 5, 18. Yeah, look at this. Do not get drunk on wine. I love that because when we're in a desert place, I don't know, you, you got your thing. We all got our thing, right? For me, it's FIFA, playing FIFA 22. You know, I love to play FIFA with my kids. It's boom. When I'm down, I just need a good FIFA session. But what's yours? For some of us, it really is wine. When you're in your dry place, you're hitting the wine. We have ways in which we cope with our dry places, don't we? Don't we all? But listen, he's like, look, he's not saying don't not drink wine. He's saying don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, watch this, be filled with the Spirit. Now, how do we get filled with the Spirit? When you're in the dry place and you're empty, how do you get filled? Watch what Paul writes. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Now watch right here. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Singing is a spiritual discipline, okay? It is as important as reading the Scriptures. I mean, if you just look in the Bible, it's like they're reading Scripture and they're singing. They're singing, and it's like they're kind of like just stuck together. When you sing and you don't feel like it, you are taking a stand of faith that says the reality of God is greater than my emotions. Do you want to live your life under the greatness of God or under the whimsical movements of your emotions? Where do you want to live? When you are living under the reality of God, you're like that tree firmly planted. But when you're just reacting to your emotions, I'm going to praise you, God, when I feel like it, when you're doing things the way I want, you guys, you're just left vulnerable to your unstable and you're on shaky ground. Now, I want to encourage us, when you come into church here, and you don't feel like it, because you're just lucky you got here, or you are just had a hard week, praise Him. Sing. Some of us in here, not a singer. I'm not a singer. I don't really like singing. Anyone here else like with me? Come on. Any other honest people? Yeah, brother, I'm with you, dude. Yeah, dude. All the dudes. Yes, dudes. Any ladies? Are all, do, do women just love singing? I'm just curious. Any women not like singing? Okay, there's one. Yeah, I'm with you, girl. All right, girl. Good. Okay, listen. You guys, singing is not about you becoming, you know, America's next, you know, the American Idol. This is about a spiritual practice that is established by God himself, hardwired into every personality, the engineer and the artist, to open our souls to God, okay? Look, when I first went to a Christian gathering with my friends, I saw everyone singing, I was like, what is this? Is this Christian karaoke? It really weirded me out. <laughs> I really had no idea how to make sense of what they were doing. There's the lyrics up there, and they're doing this thing, and uh, they're closing their eyes. They got it memorized. This is unbelievable. 
But listen, when you sing and you praise him, David is saying, look, my lips will glorify you, verse 5. Um, verse 3. Is that verse 3? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there it is, verse 3. My lips will glorify you. He's like, my heart is not there, but my lips are going to do it. That I can control. You can't control where your heart is, you guys. But you can control what your mouth does, and you're going to start praising God. I'm telling you, as you do that, it's an offering of dry wood to God. You're not being fake when you start praising God and you're bored or you're not feeling it or you've got, you're just weighed down with discouragement. When you praise God and you don't feel like it, you're bringing your wood to God so that his spirit can set your heart on fire. And my friends, he will. He will set your heart on fire. When I was going through that season of praying for God to renew my prayer life, one of the things I did was I locked myself or I shut myself, I don't know, you can't lock yourself in a closet, but, but I shut myself in a walk-in closet so no one could hear me because you don't want to hear this guy sing. And I just got my boom box and I just started worshiping God. I just got a whole album and I just said, I'm not going to leave this room, God, until I get through the whole album. Literally, that's what I would do. I'm going to put this album, it was a Matt Redman face down worship album, and God, I'm staying here to wait on you until this album is done. That was 10 times the amount of time I'd spent in personal worship in probably that entire year. I'm not kidding. I just, it, was a, it was a heroic effort on my part. But God, I'm, it just, to God, it's like a little branch. You know, it's like nothing. But to me, it was huge. And I just went in that closet and started praising God. Where can you do that in your life? Maybe for you, it's turning a corner and going, yeah, I'm not the singing kind of person, but praising you and singing to you. It's not about if I'm a singer. It's about opening my soul to your spirit to set me on fire. And if you want a fresh feeling of the spirit, I want to encourage you, start singing. Start singing. And when you really don't feel like it, you sing harder. When something is stuck, you push harder. Are you with me? Sing harder. Come on, get up here if you want. Get up here and just oh, get, your, get your praise on. All right. Gather the dry wood and be honest. Light the fire and enter into a spirit of praise. And number three, number three, third step, stoke the fire. Read, listen to this. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you're my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Let's read this together. Verse eight. I love verse eight so much. You ready? Let's read it out loud together. Ready? One, two, three. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Okay. You see that underlying part, I cling? I mean, first of all, look at all the verbs. I remember you, I think of you, I sing, and I cling. This is the part that is your effort. And every relationship that is worth anything requires effort on our part. So does God. Effort, it does not work against the grace of God. Earning something, trying to earn God's love is, not, is a violation of God's grace because his love for you is unearned. But you need to put in effort. It requires effort. Your marriage requires effort. Your relationship with your children requires effort. You just staying physically fit. Your own well-being requires effort. It all requires effort. And the grace of God energizes our effort with the knowledge that your effort is not earning God's attention. He's already giving it to you. 
and he's promising it to you, doesn't that just want to energize you and go, okay, God, then I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you, and I'm going to cling to you. And the clinging part is the stoking. And it means you're persevering. Because you know what, guys? You're going you're to get your dry wood. You're going to start praising God. And guess what's going to happen? 99.9% of the time, guess what's going to happen in the first 15 minutes? Nothing. <laughs> you ever do that? All right. I'm going big with God. I'm going to go after him. I'm going to get honest. I'm going to, I'm going to come to God. I'm going to cry out to him. And you get on your knees, you get alone, and you just lift up this from the depths of your being. It's, 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 like it's tugging on your small intestines. It's going so deep. It just got you down there, and you're just bringing it to God. And then all of a sudden, you okay, God, now it's your turn. It's just... You, you don't feel anything. You don't see anything. You... Yeah. And what happens then? It's in the movies, right? Oh, see, I knew there was no God. Oh, I'm not spiritual. Oh, and you start to lose heart. But this word right here, I'm going to cling to you, God. I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to put in that effort. God, I'm going to wait with you. So for me, the way I do it, because I'm totally ADD guy, right? If you're ADD in the room and you need a little help, I put on a timer. That's what that worship album is. Okay, it's a 45-minute timer. It's going to take 45 minutes for that worship set. I'm not leaving until that last song is done, God. I'm just going to sit here. And sometimes it's a day. Sometimes it's a few weeks. Sometimes it might take a couple months for certain areas of our life. Not for God to want to set you on fire and to fill you with his presence, but for you to open up enough for him to get to you. Because you're not trying to convince God. You're trying to convince yourself to open to Him this area of your life. I want to invite the, the band to come out. As the band comes out, listen to this great quote by Bob. I was talking to Bob about this idea of clinging to God and persevering. And this is what Bob said. Bob, the wise sage, he said, well, yes, Ryan, you need to include that third point. Don't throw it out because look, you don't get dry overnight. This is what he said right here, off the top of his head. This is what is just off the top of Bob's head. And then he goes, why are you expecting to get better overnight? I'm like, can you, is that hitting home a little bit? You're like, man, this did not get dry. This was on a tree yesterday. <laughs> you know, this was not in my backyard yesterday. And it, it we get dry because incrementally we drift, we allow doubts to linger and not deal with them, and we just, but then we, when we come to God, we want it to be like this, like right away, and we're shocked, and when God doesn't show up and meet us right in that moment, you're like, God's not real, I'm not spiritual enough, and we just walk away, and, and listen, just remember Coach Bob right here, <laughs> Coach Bob, listen, you didn't get dry overnight, so why are you expecting it to get better overnight? You've got to cling to God. Because as you cling to him, listen, his right hand is going to lift you up. Okay, I want to invite the band to come on out. And as the band comes out, <laughs> did, you hear, did you hear that? I did that earlier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah they're coming. Out. Yeah, there they go. Yeah, there they go. Yeah. I've been finishing faster than they expected, and so I've been throwing them for a curve. This morning, they were literally having to run. These guys are the best. I love these guys. 
Listen, verse 8, my soul clings to you. David's confidence is not in his remembering. It's not in his honesty. David's confidence is not in his stoking or in his praising. His confidence is not in his clinging. His confidence is in the right hand that, is, that holds him up. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Jesus is God's right hand that holds you up. And Jesus was crucified on dry dead wood. The cross, what was the cross? Two beams of dry dead wood that he was nailed to, and that has profound meaning for us in our dry place. Jesus went into the driest place of the human condition so that no matter where you might find yourself, no matter what desert of the soul you might find yourself in, he has made a way through it and a way out because of what he did for you and for me on the cross. In Matthew 26, it says that it records the moment that Jesus went into his desert place. Listen to this. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's Jesus. He didn't go to the cross going, oh, I can't wait. Oh God, man, I am looking so forward to a good amount of rejection. I can't wait to get flogged. And man, I'm so looking forward to getting crucified. No, listen to him. I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So he tells his disciples, stay here, keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not what I will, but as you will. Jesus brought the dry wood of his honesty, his sorrow, and the fact that he's like, maybe I don't want to die. I'm not looking forward to this death. However, he was willing to set it on fire by praising his father's will over his own. And he did. My father, he said, if there is any way, get me out of this, but please, not what I want. I want what you want. And when he did that, he set his soul on fire. And he did that for you and for me so that we might be filled with, and by fire, I'm talking about a passion for God, the love of God. This is the love that David says, your love is better than life. This is the love that was willing to not love his own life so much that he wouldn't lay it down for you and for me so that no matter what dry place you find yourself in, he has earned the right to reach you in that place. Let's bring our dry wood to the Lord today. All right, let's open our hearts, Lord. We open our hearts to you. We bring to you, God, the good, the bad, the ugly. We bring to you our dry wood, our doubts, our disappointments, our distractions, and our despair. And we just declare today there's no place you cannot meet us in. There's nowhere you cannot reach us. There's no doubt that has the right to stand between us and you. There's no disappointment you cannot heal. 
God, we just got to bring it to you. God, we're bringing it to you right now. We open our hearts to you. God, we want to be on fire for you. We want to be filled with passion for you. God, we want our hearts to be filled with your love for us. Draw us near to you, God. What we thought separated us from you, may it be the place that draws us near to you. We thank you that your love is better than life. I want to send you out the blessing. You guys, as the service ends, you can continue to come up here and get prayer. But I want to challenge you. Ask one another if you came with a friend or spouse. Hey, what's that dry place for you? Bring it to God. Bring it out into the open. But as you go out, remember, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. I'm not asking you to water down your convictions. No, 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 no. Let your light shine. But let God's grace be your lead step into conversations this week. May the Lord's face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he keep you. May the Lord make you his salt and light in people's lives this week. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, my friends.